So I read the lessons this week to write the sermon, and uh, I realized that there's simply no way that I could get out of preaching uh, on the first reading from Proverbs uh, about the good wife. I can remember on more than one occasion when I was a little boy being at somebody's house where the, the man of the family would sit at the dining room table and read this passage. I suspect it was because he was not in good odor with his wife or he was trying to straighten her up and say some things about what was necessary about uh, the good wife. So I'm going to preach on that and then I'm going to preach on the epistle from James because he's talking about practical wisdom and he's talking about more than one kind and how you and I need to focus our attention on uh, uh, exercising practical wisdom in the best possible way. And he has a, a short list, which may be another one of the ways in which you and I can check spir our spiritual progress as we live our lives and see what that might mean. Uh, last week I spoke about the wisdom literature. It's a whole section in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, called the Wisdom Literature, and the Book of Proverbs is one of them, and other books would be, actually the Psalms are included in the Wisdom Literature, and uh, we have Ecclesiastes and the Book of Job, and in the, um, what, we, what is called in our tradition, the Apocrypha, we have the Wisdom of Solomon, we have the Book of Wisdom, and so forth. And so in the ancient Near East, there was a particular understanding of what wisdom is, and what it constitutes, and uh, I mentioned last week that it may mean technical skill, the art of government, simple cleverness, the practical skill of coping with life, and the pursuit of a lifestyle of proper ethical conduct. We are introduced in the book of Proverbs, it, by the way, is the oldest of the wisdom literature. And therefore, it represents perhaps a, a relatively conservative thread of uh, the understanding of wisdom in the ancient Near East. And its primary focus, uh, as we read the Proverbs, is to introduce us to wisdom as a feminine concept. It's a feminine word both in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek, the Greek, Sophia. So when you hear um, a girl named Sophia, you know, it means wisdom. And when we talk about um, uh, the book of Proverbs, it has to do with wisdom understood in one sense as, all right, the circumstances in which you find yourself are of your own making. You know, I said that last week, and I got to, think about, uh, got to thinking about it, and I preached about it at 11, but not um, at 9. Suppose you know somebody who's in trouble and it's of their own making. Are you going to help them? Or do you say, well, that's, you got yourself into this jam. So you need to get yourself out of it. And how do we feel as a people when we think about the whole idea of uh, helping one another? Uh, because actually it is true, I suspect, that most of the time the trouble we get ourselves into is of our own making. In the wisdom literature, it, they begin to write about some things that step away from what the concept that, that's emphasized in Proverbs. So when you read the book of Job, you read about a man 
who uh, has gotten himself into an, an enormous amount of trouble, and it isn't his fault. It was visited on him. So how do we understand the operation of God's work, and how do we understand people? Uh, Job was the recipient of a whole lot of advice about the circumstances he found himself in and what he, what he should do. In fact, the shortest man in the Bible <laughs> is in the book of Job. Bildad the Shuhite. <laughs> in any case, it makes us think about what is it that uh, is the case. And Ecclesiastes, which is part of the wisdom literature, introduces us to a concept that's more like karma. Right? You reap what you sow, and things come round. What goes around comes round. So that's some way of thinking about uh, wisdom. But today we read the end of the book of Proverbs and we read about the perfect wife. We've had a whole uh, series of comments about women, uh, woman wisdom, the strength of woman wisdom, the dangers of women, the be be careful of, of women in some fashion. And now at the end of the book of Proverbs, we read a poem about what usually is translated as something like the capable wife, but in the Hebrew, it can be translated as strong woman, capable wife, woman of worth, or perfect wife. Why all these different translations? Well, the same word for wife in Hebrew is the same word for woman, isha. It means the same thing. So these are the words that are used, and this poem uh, is an acrostic and that means that each line of the poem is, is, uh, begins with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The perfect form for the perfect woman. All right? So that might be uh, a way, just a, some ways of understanding it when you learn, you know, in 3995 biblical scholarship. But clearly when we read about what the capable wife is, or the perfect wife, or a strong woman, it's written from the male perspective, isn't it? It's written from the perspective of how are we, as guys, enabled by virtue of uh, the perfect wife. So in one sense, she still remains kind of invisible, because she's there for purposes uh, that please men. And yet, at the same time, this represents, certainly in the ancient Near East, an advance. So what that means is something that I've talked about before in other books in the Hebrew Bible. And that is that God works on the manners, morals, and customs of people to transform the way they relate to one another. Carol Fontaine is the professor of Hebrew scriptures at Andover Newton Theological School in Newton, Massachusetts, and in her commentary on the book of Proverbs in the Harper's uh, Biblical Commentary. By the way, if you want to buy a, a biblical commentary, a one-volume biblical commentary, that's one you should buy. And it's written at a level that uh, the popular reader can pretty much understand and get. And uh, it talks all about uh, the, all the books of the Bible and is kind of a, 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 it's a commentary on those. She says, the picture presented here in this last 
chapter uh, uh, reading from Proverbs acts as a corrective to the notion that women are dangerous beings who sap away men's lives and fortunes and may have been included precisely to encounter such one-sided negative views seen earlier with a positive last word on the subject. If you were to read uh, all of Proverbs in course, you'd discover that just before this, we had a section on Lemuel's wife that was sort of uh, dodgy. So this is a way. This is a way to talk about uh, the, uh, this in a more correct way, and gives us an idea that the prevailing wisdom uh, at the time uh, is summarized in this final passage. Um, there has been a sea change in the relationship between men and women, certainly in the West. Uh, I'm not saying that those, these issues and tensions are by any means over. But it is true to say that that is, that is so. Um, on my vacation, I, I maybe shouldn't confess this to you, but I read a book. Uh, and you say, what is he reading a book like this for on his vacation? But because I'm interested in it. And this book is entitled Sydney Anglicans and Their Threat to worldwide Anglicanism. And uh, it's written by an Australian journalist named Jane Porter, Muriel Porter, I'm sorry. And she's talking about the Anglican Diocese of Sydney in Australia. The Anglican Diocese of Sydney is perhaps the most evangelical uh, diocese, maybe in the whole of the Anglican Communion, even some of the African dioceses. And it is also very powerful because it is extremely financially well healed uh, until about 2010 when they had some uh, reversals in their investments and uh, there was a whole lot of news in the Sydney press about how perhaps if they'd had a few woman money managers in the course of the board of consultancy, they might have improved their lot. <laughs> well, the reason I'm talking about this are the, is there are two issues. One of the things that the Sydney Diocese is rabid about is something called male headship. And this is something that uh, is very important to them, and they're willing to cause all kinds of trouble uh, in the Anglican Communion and certainly in the Australian Church uh, about women priests and bishops and about uh, women uh, exercising any kind of prominent roles in parish life and uh, believe that it is important that we uh, order things in such a way as to uh, realize that men are the head of the whole deal. And so there's been some difficulty. And now this runs in parallel to uh, something that they're also great advocates for, perhaps the only ones in the whole of the Anglican Communion. And this is called lay presidency at the Eucharist, which means lay people can preside at, at the Eucharist. Uh, what the Sydney Diocese believes is that the English Reformation, as it began in the 16th century, was stalled and was thwarted and did not uh, per get permitted to run its full course, which essentially meant it be would become Presbyterian. 
And so they're, uh, uh, they're obliged and feel that it's their responsibility to ride this church in that direction still. So that's what they believe. And uh, this book talks in exhaustive terms about this, and it's very interesting. But since we're talking about uh, the relationship between men and women, I thought I might mention it because it tells us that in, in uh, countries that are somewhat progressive, or we believe are, there are still strong elements, certainly within the Christian tradition, and in this country it's, it's true as well, that uh, women are one down. And furthermore, that biblical support is summoned to support this and to, to uh, insist that this must be the way in which we operate if we're to be godly people and faithful to the gospel. So you and I, uh, as Episcopalians, who believe that we need to bring to bear the full force and effect of our intellectual powers on the deep things of Christian faith and belief, I believe are obliged to say no to that and to the fact that the movement that we have seen now to uh, demonstrate uh, not just complementarity, but... Um, a mutuality in the way we understand the spread of the gospel is very important to do. And uh, that's just a commercial message for what I think about that. But also, that in the reading from Proverbs, we have a reminder again about how God works through the manners, morals, and customs of people. And um, it's not a particular agenda with the check the boxes that we have to adhere to. It's just a, an understanding of... Uh, the need to be, pay attention. And I think in the political discourse in this country in the past uh, year or two, we've had a lot of conversation about the role of women uh, that hasn't always been edifying. And uh, we need to be careful about that, if I do say so. So let's talk about James. Uh, once again, James is um, speaking about wisdom and the right course of action. This is not unique stuff that he's talking about or deep, but he has a lively moral passion about what it is he thinks needs to be done. So he speaks about uh, practical wisdom. And in an odd sense, he's speaking against something that I read in that list of how the ancients understood wisdom, and that is uh, sheer cleverness. And cleverness is important. But he says, you know, uh, people have turned... He's writing this to a Christian community, so I suspect this is going on within his community. And what he's talking about here is acquisitiveness in some ways. You know? Uh, greed. Uh, Self-aggrandizement. Uh, putting yourself at the center of everything. And one of the suggestions that he has about that is uh, to uh, rem remind everybody that they're not the center of the universe. Remember Ralph Qual's famous comment when he was first working in city government as a young man and his boss summoned him in the office and he had an easel with some newsprint on it and he drew a circle, his boss. He says, Ralph, this is the universe this, he put a point in this, is the center of the universe. This is you. <laughs> so 
So James is talking about how um, when we get into this, I'm the center of the universe, it causes trouble both for our internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states, but also with regard to the way we can relate to people in a healthy fashion. So he says when you're tempted to uh, be overcome with envy and self-ambition, I think those things generate uh, out of self-centered fear, you know, the belief that something's going to happen to you that isn't uh, good. He contrasts it with this, pure intentions, peaceableness, gentleness, willingness to yield, being merciful. And you know, when I think about pure intentions, I mean uh, this. We believe uh, that everybody means what they say. So we start out, get out of bed in the morning, and the default position is today I, I believe what, uh, that everybody, what everybody says, how they represent themselves. I don't have to go through an elaborate process of figuring it out or psychoanalyzing it. I believe what they say. I take them seriously. So that's a way to have pure intentions. And for yourself, it means trying to be as clear as possible. Now, this is very easy to say and hard to do. But um, people should not be expected to engage in an elaborate uh, figuring out of what somebody's motives are. If they tell you what they, this, then you believe them until you are uh, disabused of it, which is probably often or even most of the time. But that you start from that perspective, that you believe what people say. And the second thing that I start out with, again, uh, somewhat uh, disabused by it, but still believe it, and that is that all of us are people of goodwill. All of us are people of goodwill. So we start from that point of view. Again, we're often uh, terribly disappointed. But if we were to start from those two perspectives, it might be uh, helpful to us. Uh, many times I suggest to you, what would you do, how would you figure out if you're trying to live a life intentionally where you have some sort of moral passion, where you uh, seek to uh, not only look after yourself, but to reach out in love and concern for others, to deepen your relationship with God, how would you know that you've made any spiritual progress? And this list is kind of like the, the fruits of the Spirit, pure intentions, peaceableness, gentleness, willingness to yield, Mercy, mercifulness uh, is a way, like uh, um, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit in our theological understanding. That's what we receive uh, from God as part of our true self. So if we check those things and say, you know, at least today I found um, all or some of those things easier to do, Maybe I'm making some forward progress uh, on what this is. And that's what uh, James is speaking about to his community because I suspect there's some biblical scholars who believe this was written to a fairly urban, well-heeled Christian community. Remember, Christianity began as an urban movement, not a rural movement. 
it's an urban movement in, in those, the countries in which it began. So a number of the people that were in these congregations, some of them were, were prosperous and well-known in their communities. So he's saying to them, you know, you need to uh, be careful about uh, how, you, how you relate to one another in this way. And that hasn't gone away from us. So this week, give thanks for the strong woman, women in your life that you have known that have helped you out, both through their wisdom, their self-sacrifice, and their ability to uh, lead when it has been necessary. And give thanks also for the opportunity to grow in the spirit with pure intentions, peaceableness, gentleness, willingness to yield, and being merciful. Amen.